special thanks Mimi and thanks Keith for leading us in our reading and our prayers. Let me encourage all of you as always to keep your Bibles open there in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Actually I'll, I'll ask you to flick back just one chapter into 29. We're actually going to cover off chapters 29 and 30 this morning as well as going on a bit of an exploration through some of our New Testament. So please do have your Bibles either in paper form or on a device ready to go as we do this together. And the reason I want to take us back into chapter 29 is so that we can gain some context for the verses that Mimi has just read for us. This great presentation that Moses makes where he offers the choice between life and death to all of Israel. To understand that offer, we're going to need a little more context, and that's why we're heading back a chapter. But before we get into chapter 29, a, a quick reminder for anyone who's not been around or may have forgotten, for those of us who are joining in either in this room or online for the first, first time in this series. We are, of course, with the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy, standing on the edge of the promised land about to enter into the inheritance that Moses has promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their descendants after them. And Moses has been giving a series of sermons to all of the people, encouraging them primarily to remember what God has done and to therefore love and obey and serve Him when they cross the Jordan. Most recently in our study last week, or in chapters 27 and 28, if you've been reading along, Moses has pronounced a series of curses and blessings. Curses and blessings that would be proclaimed by all the people from two mountaintops facing one another when they crossed the Jordan and entered the Promised Land. These curses for violation of God's law and the blessings outlined for obeying God's law constituted an addition to the original covenant that had been established at Mount Sinai. And there at the beginning of Deuteronomy 29, as Moses rounds out these blessings and curses, we read, These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with Israel in Moab, that is, where they're standing now, in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Horeb. So they've been given the Ten Commandments historically, Reminded that they were to be God's holy chosen people. And here as they stand on the cusp of his promised land, the Lord adds to their agreement. He cuts a new deal with them, saying that they must now obey more fully or they will be cursed. And as we read on there in verse 2, we see that Moses again summons the people to listen once more to another instruction. And unsurprisingly, he's going to again plead with them to know and follow God. But here's how he begins. We're in Deuteronomy 29, reading from verse 2 to 6. Moses says, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to his officials, and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those signs and great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands, or eyes that see, or ears that hear, 
Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. Now I want you to remember, friends, that many of the Israelites gathered there before Moses were indeed of the generation of children that had grown up in Egypt. We're told that the age of accountability was about 20 when they were in the wilderness. Those who were over 20 were destined to perish when they rejected entry into the promised land when God first offered it to them. So many of those here today were up to, say, the age of 18, 19 in Egypt. They very much had seen these things. And I want to point out that when we're reading our Bibles, it's a very good practice to notice repeated words or ideas. And here in this passage, we'll do just that. Doing such good practice often helps us to clarify a point or to see clearly what the main point of a passage is. And I want to notice here in Deuteronomy 29, 2-6, the number of references that Moses, God through Moses, make to seeing. It says, your eyes have seen, with your own eyes you saw, in the ESV translation, which takes a more literal word-for-word translation, they write these verses like this. Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to his servants, and all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. These children of Israel who were raised in Egypt, who saw with their own eyes the destruction that God wrought there, the victory He had over the gods of Egypt, the plagues that desolated the land and the people of Egypt. These people who walked through the parted Red Sea, beheld all the wonders of God, and yet here Moses says to them, you have not seen. God has not granted it to you that you would understand who he is, that you would see clearly who he is. Yes, you have seen his wonders, but you haven't seen him. Even though he sustained you in the wilderness that you might come to know him, he hasn't given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. They haven't come to know the truth of who God is. I wonder if you were like me in your journey toward faith. Perhaps you're in that space right now, not convinced of the things of God. But if you're anything like me, you may have entertained yourself with this old classic. If God would just show me blank, then I would believe. If I saw a miracle with my own eyes, if my friend was healed on their deathbed, if I encountered God in a dream, then I would believe. Well, friends, this passage tells us that that is 
not the case. These Israelites saw the wonders of God. They were sustained by the hand of God, witness to the miracles that he poured out in Egypt. And they still couldn't see him. So corrupted is the human condition that in its own strength, it is incapable of truly perceiving who God is. How could Israel not know? How could Israel at this point not truly see who God was? It's because they were broken, corrupted, sinful people like all of us have been since the fall. This is the same reason that Jesus would say to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, that they were the blind leading the blind. In Matthew 23, when Jesus speaks the woes to the Pharisees, he accuses them no less than five times of being blind to God, even though they lead others. This is the same reason that numerous people would witness the miracles of Christ himself on earth and yet not turn and follow him. It's this same corruption that led Judas to betray Christ. It was revealed that he never truly followed him, though he saw all he did and heard every message Christ preached. It's why Jesus describes his own ministry, both literally and figuratively, as opening the eyes of the blind. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see in Israel's condition, the condition of all people who are lost. If you've got your Bibles, do come across to Romans chapter 1, where the condition of the lost is described by Paul. In Romans 1, reading from verse 18, we read, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, just as he had to Israel. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Just as Israel were seeing but not seeing, so we are told all people have that same condition. God's Qualities are there displayed for all, and yet they cannot comprehend them. Verse 21 of Romans 1. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And whilst Paul doesn't add it, I dare say we could say their eyes were blinded to God. We get a similar description of the human condition in Ephesians 4 from verse 17 where Paul writing to the church says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened 
blinded in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Friends, this is how our scriptures describe the lost. This is how Moses described Israel who had not yet come to truly know God. This is the sinful human condition and it has not changed blind eyes deaf ears futile minds hardened hearts that is the description of the person who does not know god and such a person we're told is destined for destruction their life has only one trajectory. For Israel, it was the curses and the exile promised by Moses on those plains of Moab. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 29, from verse 22, Moses is now describing what the future will be like for Israel when they are cast out of the land. Not if, but when. It says, your children who follow you in later generations and foreigners who come from distant lands will see the calamities that have fallen on the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it. The whole land will be a burning waste of salt and sulfur. Nothing planted, nothing sprouted, no vegetation growing on it. It will be like the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim which the Lord overthrew in fierce anger. All the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this fierce burning anger? And the answer will be, it is because this people abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. They went off and worshipped other gods and bowed down to them. Gods they did not know, gods he had not given them. Therefore, the Lord's anger burned against this land so that he brought on it all the curses written in this book. In furious anger and in great wrath, the Lord uprooted them from the land and thrust them into another land as it is now. Moses promised Israel that this is what would befall them, that sooner or later they would turn from God's rules and laws, that they would turn from God himself and follow their hardened hearts, that they would be led by their blind eyes and that as such they would reap the curses that they had spoken over themselves, that they would be cast out of God's promised land, scattered amongst the nations who would look on in bewilderment. This is what would befall Israel, But of course, we know that such things also will befall those who are lost. That what is reserved for them is the same judgment of God and a similar punishment. We read of this many times in our New Testament when Christ describes the separation of sheep and goats, those who believe in him and those who don't. When he describes the separation of the wheat and the tears, 
those that will be reserved for life and use and those that will be burned and destroyed. We will be separated into those who are in Christ and those who are apart from Him. Revelation 20 verse 11 and following describes that moment of judgment. Where John, caught up into heaven, writes what he saw. Then I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from His presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Just as Israel was cast from God's promised land, his holy place, and scattered amongst the nations, so we are told that in the time of judgment, those who are not in Christ will too be cast out of God's place, out of heaven, and into eternal destruction and punishment. Friends, we need to see that the lost are not good people who are a little wayward. They're not people who are on their own spiritual path that we should encourage as they trundle along. Those who are lost are blind and deaf. They're futile. They're hardened. They are dead men walking bound for exile from God's holy place for all eternity. The co-worker that you see each day in the lunchroom, the mums and dads who don't know Christ, who stand shoulder to shoulder with you, picking up your kids at school, your teammates, your friends, your family. Blind, deaf, hardened, lost, just as Israel were. We need to see the reality of the human condition for what it is so that we might appropriately respond as God has called us to. And the response that God calls us to is to call others to repentance, just as we ourselves, if we are in Christ, have been called to repentance. Come back with me now to Deuteronomy once more and turning into chapter 30, at the very beginning there of chapter 30. Moses continues speaking to the people of Israel. He says, When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you amongst the nations, when you and your children return to the Lord, your God, and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I have commanded you, then the Lord, your God, will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Moses understood that as sinful, blinded people, they would fail. And that the only hope for those who had fallen from God's grace, which is 
all of us, is it not? Is that they might repent, verse 2, and return to God. That they might obey Him and love Him with all their heart and soul. That they might turn from their ways and turn back to God. This cry was there on Moses' lips as he ushered the people into the promised land. This same call to repent was on the mouths of the prophets time and time again. And if you were here when we studied Jeremiah, you would be most familiar with that. The call to repentance are the first words out of our Messiah's mouth when he begins his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. This call to turn from sin and come back to God is the crucial call for all people who are lost. And it is a crucial element for we who have turned back to God in our gospel proclamation. We must call the lost, the blind, the wayward to repent and come to God. This is the need of every lost soul. But even so, we're told they are unable to do so. God has always used his people to call others back to repentance. But we know equally that the human condition is such that they are unable to respond. That shouldn't stop us calling. But it should drive us to the one source of change. Prayer that God himself would do this act in those who are lost. Verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Friends, this is the remedy to the human condition, the only remedy to the human condition, that the heart might be changed by God himself, that he might create in us a new heart, that he might remove the hardened outer stone and give us new flesh filled with his spirit and in so doing give us life this is still the same and only hope for those who are lost that they might receive the blessing of god and turn from their sinful ways and god's plan to do this has always been through the means of prayer and proclamation. For Moses, it was this call to heed the words of God. For us, of course, it shifts to the sharing of the gospel. For we know the hardened heart will only be changed when someone comes to follow Christ. But the need to hear the message has always been a constant. And we see that there in Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 where Mimi read earlier. Moses, speaking to Israel, says, Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend to get it and proclaim it to us that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. 
No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Israel needed to see how simple it was. The message of salvation was right there for them. Moses had just proclaimed it again and again and again. It was not hidden. It was not a mystery. It was not something that they needed to go into heaven to get or cross the seas to hear. The message was plain and simple. They were the blessed chosen people of God who had seen more fully all that he had done. And now they were reminded that the message was right there in their midst. Cast yourselves in repentance upon the mercy and grace of God. Plead with him that he might do in you what he has promised, that he might circumcise your heart, that he might remove the hardness, that he might open the eyes of the blind, that we might see and understand and respond and live. It's right here, says Moses. Well, the message has now reached a fuller sense in Jesus, but it is the same call that we would respond in repentance, casting ourselves upon the mercy and grace of God. It's the only way for the lost to be saved. If you've still got your Bibles, come back again to Romans. I know I've had you jumping around, but it's good to see how consistent our scriptures are. This time we're in Romans 10, and I urge you, come with me to Romans 10. I'm going to read from verse 5 through to 15 where Paul picks up on this very passage of Deuteronomy to express the new, fuller truth revealed in Christ. Romans 10, reading from verse 5. Paul says, Moses writes about this righteousness that is by law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. You see here what Paul's doing? He's taking the same words that Moses proclaimed to Israel and saying, just as they didn't need to go to heaven to get the message of salvation, they didn't need to cross the seas, Neither do we need to go and get Christ from heaven or bring him back from the dead. That's already done. He has come. He has been raised. He is the way to life. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Romans 10 verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just as it was for Israel. If they would repent and come to God, so it is for all who are lost. If they would come to Christ, they would be saved. If God would grant in them a heart of repentance that they might come to Christ, 
that they would call on him and believe in him, then they will be saved. And so Paul presses on in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? There it is, friends. The means by which God has chosen to reveal his son to the lost. You and I. Those who know the gospel. Called to take it and share it in prayer and in faith. That God might turn hearts from stone to flesh. And bring people from death to life. That he might give them ears to hear the truth. And eyes to see his goodness. And so with Moses, we hold out the very same choice that was held out to Israel those hundreds of years ago. In Deuteronomy 30:19, Moses, having laid out God's plan of salvation, says to them, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you. I have set before you life and death. Blessings and curses. Now choose life, he says to Israel, that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So it is, my brothers and sisters. That as we hold out the gospel to the lost, we offer that very same choice. Will you continue in your blindness, your sin, your waywardness? Or will you repent and come to Jesus? I hold before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. Choose Christ. And we pray that God might give them a heart of repentance to respond to that message. Friends, I want you to see in Moses' passionate plea before Israel the same desire that we should have when we hold the gospel out to this world. One final reading back in our New Testament. If you have your Bibles, please do come with me. This is where we'll end this morning. In Second. Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 6. And you may know the context of the letter. This is Paul, the passionate evangelist, the apostle to the Gentiles, who is writing to his dear friend, his beloved son in the faith, who would take the gospel on to the next generation after Paul. And he writes to his dear Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave, sorry, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has 
saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Brothers and sisters, you may not feel as though you are a Timothy or a Paul called to such ministry amongst God's people and amongst the lost. But I assure you, if you have come to Christ, if you are a recipient of the Holy Spirit and he dwells now in your heart, if you have experienced the life-changing power of knowing Christ and responding to his gospel, then you are one who is called to keep the same pattern of sound teaching. That just as the gospel was shared with you, so you are to, in faith and love of Christ, share that gospel with those who need to hear it. You are to guard it from corruption, keeping it in its purest form. And you are to proclaim it, trusting that God will indeed open the eyes of the blind as in prayer and faith we share his news of salvation. So it was for Israel on the shores of the Jordan. So it is for us and the lost around us now. Would you pray with me, brothers and sisters, that we might boldly proclaim in this world the message of salvation? Pray together. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, as we have considered your word this morning, we are struck afresh by just how corrupt the human condition is. That we people could behold your miracles. That we could live and eat only by your grace and provision. And yet we could not see you in all of that. How very telling that is of the state of humanity. We are so very, very lost. So blind, so deaf, so futile. And yet we know, Lord, that in your good purposes and in your great grace and mercy, you can call people out of that state that you can raise them from death to life. And that you do that through the gospel of our Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you might be at work in the hearts and minds of those around us in this world, those whom we encounter in our workplaces, in our homes, as we go about our daily lives. Lord, may we see them for what they truly are, the lost who are in need of a Savior. 
may you embolden and enable us to share your good news into their lives. Help us to speak of Christ. Help us to call the wayward to repentance. Help us to make that very same offer, life or death. May we do it boldly and may we do it in a way that honours the name of Jesus. And as a result, Lord, would you be so good as to let us see the fruit of such work, the repentance and the growth of many, many disciples in our lives and in our community around us. We ask it all that Jesus might be known and glorified and we pray it in his name.